again, and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, and hosted by me, yours truly, Pastor Dan, and with the able help of my beautiful daughter, Bethany. Each week, we study the Bible together with you with the goal of knowing God's heart and mind with all of our own heart and mind. Our hope is that through this virtual Bible study, you'll be able to participate more completely in the benefits of active involvement in a church community. So I genuinely hope that you will be served by this offer, but I also want and hope that you wouldn't settle for this alone. Please seek and join a church community that feels like a home and a family of faith that God truly had in mind for you. Today's original broadcast date is March 23rd, 2018. Each week we want to begin this Bible study with an act of worship, a loving God, I call it, and also prayer for you, loving each other. So we begin by loving God and loving each other. Our psalm reading today is Psalm number one. Psalm number one says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us pray. Almighty God, today I join with this wonderful group of people who have sought to know you with all their heart and mind to actually seek your heart and mind. I join with these people who love you, Lord, and wish to serve you in all that they can and all that they will be in your spirit and according to your perfect will. Lord, I join with them in prayers for our world. There's so much going on that we don't understand, so much evil, so many fearful and frightening things happening around the world, but we know that none of it goes unnoticed by you, and none of it is outside of your authority or your strength to control. And therefore, in the same spirit, we pray together for our nation. We ask that you bless our leaders, that you bless uh, bless the, the wisdom and the spirit in which things are done. We pray that while we may have different ideas of what our nation's moral character should be like, our goal would be that your character is reflected in the way that our nation is governed. We pray for our home communities, Lord. We ask that you bless those leaders and our neighbors. We ask that all the various concerns and and, uh, needs that we're aware of in our local communities, even in our own neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our church families, uh, that we could join together in, in serving as prayer partners in those needs uplifting them who need health care assistance, Lord, and those whose spirits and minds are weary and in need of health. And, uh, Lord, we pray for uh, relationships. We pray for those who have, uh, have difficult times with other people, and it has to do with our spiritual and emotional health and uh, complex communities that Uh, create relationships of all different sorts. We pray, Lord, for each other in this Bible study, knowing that each person in this Bible study comes with certain needs and desires that they have given to you and hopes and dreams and much that they give thanks for. And so we join together with them in that. And finally, Lord, we just offer our time of study to you and genuinely desire that you would reach to us through the word in a way that enhances our heart and mind with your heart and mind. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. 
said, Amen. Once again, I get to do Bible study with my lovely daughter, Bethany, and Bethany's on the line. Hi, Beth. Hey. I ever, uh, I'm really excited to do this new uh, format and especially this new study. I had fun with the Christian Believer thing, but uh, I think I'm a little more comfortable with what we're going to do now, which is just to read the scriptures together and talk about it, you know. So we're going to do the book of Revelation. Everybody wants to do Revelation. Every time you ask somebody which Bible book they want to read, it's always, let's read Revelations. <laughs> so 
first thing we want to establish is this, right? You know where I'm going to go with this. You want to tell them or shall I? I'm going to let you tell them because you said everybody wants revelation and immediately the song Revolution by the Beatles got stuck in my head. (laughs) Well, we're not going to talk about a revolution exactly, but um, (laughs) it is sort of an overthrow that we're talking about in this book. But uh, I, I I would categorize it as... So, so the book of Revelation, we're, we're, we're both going to talk about what we've learned from reading the introductions in our Bibles and all of that. But let's start with something really fundamental. The book is called Revelation. Yes. There's no S on the end. Now, I'm not mad at anybody who calls it Revelations, but the fact is, is it is a singular thing. Uh, John of Patmos has a revelation. He has something revealed to him, a singular thing in a manner that doesn't suggest multiple things, even though there's surely a lot of things, but it's one revelation. So that's the book we're dealing with. It's a singular noun, and it's used 19 times uh, in, in the scripture in the singular, and it literally is a verb that means to reveal. And uh, so let's just get that out right now. And we will then be able to move forward from this. So, so it's the book of Revelation. Um, what do you suppose has caused so many Christians especially uh, to be so interested in this book? What is the fascination with this book? I think that it's probably because it's an end and not just Christians, but I think humans were a tiny bit fatalistic. Yeah. Yeah. So because revelation tells how things are going to go down at the end, Mm -hmm. I think that that's really appealing to people because, well, like I said, we're fatalistic. We want things just a little fatalistic. We're not, yeah, yeah. More anything, but well, okay. So we're we're gonna get into this, but uh, we're gonna get into the actual scripture. But this is the introductory lesson. So these are some of the things that we would do if we were in a Bible study group with a dozen or more people. We'd we'd probably sit down and just have this discussion. So you know, you're you're kind of a psychology expert, and what is it about people? Why do we why do we get kind of obsessed with um, you know, like, like for example, we're just coming out of winter and into spring here in Southern Indiana. And during the winter season, the local news stations, you know, will have a big blizzard and, and that's kind of a relative thing. Cause I have a feeling people in Montana would not consider a big snowstorm in Southern Indiana, a, you know, a big deal, but they'll be on the news for eight or nine hours straight with, you know, snowpocalypse 2018 or something like that. And, you know, why, why do you think people obsess over um, impending disaster or, or uh, you know, monumental events and they, they want to try to anticipate it and then they want to obsess over it? What do you think that's about? Well, drama sells, Dad. Yeah, yeah. That's and... True. Yeah, people like drama, yeah. Well, yeah, people like drama, um, which doesn't really answer your question, so I'm thinking about how I want to answer it. Um, (coughs) I I feel like it goes back to the other point that I made about people being fatalistic. Like, that's not this, like, that's definitely not the only thing that's going on, but... I think like if you're gonna if you, if you're gonna ask people about books in the Bible, they're probably going to point you toward Genesis and Revelation, mm-hmm. and maybe a few in the middle. Like I, I think they're probably going to point at some other ones too. But like just the layman is gonna that's because it's the beginning and the end. And <coughs> I went for a walk, and now I'm all like froggy. <laughs> um. 
I know what I want to say, but it's not. Um, well, well, okay. So while you figure out how you want to yeah. put that, let me, because <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say, but let me, let me just see if I can zero in on it a little bit. Um, people don't like to be caught by surprise. You know, most people will tell you they're not really fan fans of surprises, you know, um, when, when it gets right down to it, we want to know ahead of time, especially about really difficult situations. Uh, you know, when they predict a big winter storm, what do people do? They rush to the store and buy all the milk, bread, and eggs and um, clean off the shelves as though somehow by being prepared, they can endure it better. Does that seem reasonable? Uh-huh. So, I mean, you say it fatalistic, and I think I, I understand what you mean by that, but but it's also kind of a thing about just being prepared and feeling, you know, so, so from a psychological standpoint, maybe we would really want to say is people like the idea that if they're prepared, they're in control. Well, okay, yeah. So you're talking, like, you use that example of people going to the grocery store and stuff, and I'm thinking, like, at the same time, when that storm doesn't happen, when the storm's not as bad as predicted or it just doesn't exist at all, like it bypasses their town. Right. The same people who were rushing out to the store and really, really worried about it, they're complaining on Facebook then because it didn't happen and how dare the weatherman. So I think, I think that's, I totally agree. And I think that's where I was trying to go with it is we, just in, like human nature is very much about needing to anticipate and control things. Yeah. Yeah. We like to be in control. We really like, and I'm, I'm so guilty. Well, I like to be in control. Sure. And, and you know, it's a part of our nature. I, I would go like for those who graduated from our Christian believer study that we did, there will be an understanding that, the fundamental nature of sin is that we want self-determination rather than God determination. You know, we, we want to pick and choose how our lives go rather than leaving it in God's hands. And that's kind of the fundamental, that, that would be the natural sin that's in all of us. Now, nobody wants to hear that, especially when they're all hungry to hear about revelation and, you know, I know that people are listening to this some for the first time because they said, oh, boy, if he's going to talk about Revelation, I want to do that. And <laughs> and I'm not picking on anybody here. Um, I'm describing myself. You're describing yourself. We're not talking about this in a way where we're sitting in some sort of judgment over people. We're just looking at human nature, and that includes our own. And we know that it's a natural tendency for us to want to try to control our circumstances and being prepared is a way that we control. Mm-hmm. So what's really amazing about the book of Revelation is, is that God has sort of tipped his hat to our sin nature, even while everything about the Bible is overcoming our sin nature. Because God is giving us in Revelation and other places in Scripture a way to anticipate what's coming so that we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I mean, after all, if we have all the milk, bread, and eggs we need in our refrigerator, we don't have to go out in the middle of the storm. Yeah. And if we were told ahead of time, make sure you stock up on milk, bread, and eggs, then we wouldn't have to go out in the middle of the storm because we did what we were told to do to prepare. And this is the book of Revelation, in my opinion. Yeah. You know. I think he's... I think it's kind of a nice thought, like what you said, that that he he's kind of, he knows us better than anybody, and he's kind of looking out for us with this book. Yeah, yeah. But, but I also think he's pretty clever because he doesn't tell you everything. Yeah, <laughs> and that's exciting. And of course, part of that indicates that you and I have read this book. We've been through it before. We don't have all the answers, but we're not going to be reading scriptures we've never read before. And so we have some insight that we're going to try to share, not as experts, but just people who have already read it once or twice and and know what it says. And we've had time to think about what that might mean. So with that in mind, we go into this book. 
like a lot of people, understanding that this book is really popular for Bible studies and Sunday school classes um, because people want to try to wrap their minds around how things end, how the world kind of wraps up its story and how Jesus and and uh, and 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 all of the other players that are described uh, will be apparent to us. And and really, in all sincerity, the the reason to study this book, especially, is because it tells us in its own words that there's a blessing for studying it. And so we do want to study it, if only to be blessed in the way that it promises we will. Um, it's the only book in the whole Bible that actually says there's a blessing in store for you if you read it. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of exciting. So, um, you know, we want to we want to read this book with people so that we can give out lots of blessings, you know, so to speak. But um, let's let's talk about the book and in particular what we feel like we know about it. So from reading the introduction in your Bible, what version of the Bible are you using? Um, you're, you're the one who bought it for me. Well, I know, um, <laughs> but for the sake of our friends. <coughs> I'm using an NIV. Okay, so you're reading the New International Version. The International Version. Now, you know, every time I start a new Bible study with a new group of people, I always start by discussing a couple of basic things that everybody... Version and translation. Yeah, you tell them. I you've heard me say it. You've heard me say it a bunch of times. You tell them. Oh my gosh. Okay. <clears throat> if I get this wrong, I'm gonna embarrass myself. Well, don't worry about it. You don't tell it as often as I do. Okay. So, <clears throat> a version of the Bible is like when all the bigwig head honcho guys go back to. Uh, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna prove that I was also a history major because I'm. I'm about to use some history terms. When all the big head honcho guys go back to like a primary source. Yeah. Like, um, like Dead Sea Scrolls type primary source, like original stuff. As old as they can find. Right. They go back to that. Yeah, I guess I should have clarified that. No, that's okay. You're doing fine. They go back to a primary source, old something written by peeps who were there and they take it and then they start translating it into whatever the common language is that they're translating into. Seems like English is popular, but they're like, they go all the way back to the beginning in order to create a version. Right. So so if I understand you right, the, the Zondervan Publishing says we want to take another crack at creating um, the most authoritative version of the Bible to, yeah, da like get to date. To the original source material as possible, because obviously things get lost in translation. Yeah. Or twerked. Twer oh, my gosh. Tweaked <laughs> in translation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so they, um, you know, each time a publisher decides to do this, it's usually because there's a consensus that enough new data has been accumulated uh, or the language of the people has changed sufficiently to justify making another crack at it, you know. And it's done with, uh, you know, obviously these people are in business to make money, but 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 with God's help and with the spiritual bent, the idea is, is that they're trying to make the Bible even more accurate and more trustworthy than ever simply, right. simply by taking another turn at it. So, And I like what you've always said about the way the publishing thing works. Like, like you said, they've got like it is with God's help, because if it's a bad version, it doesn't stick around. Yeah. If, if it shouldn't be out in the world with people reading it, it tends not to be. Yeah, yeah. There's so, there's a lot of interesting historical evidence that supports the fact that when it's done poorly, God seems to dis get rid of it. You disappear know. it. Yeah, disappear it. <laughs> <laughs> but so a version is a uh, editorial version that 
is created by a series of scholars, by a group of scholars, sometimes hundreds of them, and they go back to the earliest sources available and combine that with archaeological discoveries and everything else and try to create the most authoritative version yet that, that is there. And that's, that's what we have when we say version. Now, what's a translation? So a translation is like, <clears throat> like the message or, <clears throat> well, the message is my favorite example of a translation. Right. Uh, new, new living translation would be one. Yeah. Um, but it's like they go off of the versions, right? They use yeah. versions. <clears throat> so like the message is in kind of like plain speak vernacular. Yeah. But it's based on, I don't, is it based on NIV? Um, I, I think, know. I believe it is. I, I mean, I'd, I'd have to call Eugene Peterson and ask him because <laughs> I don't recall right off the top of my head, but. <laughs> but it's based on a version. So yeah. they like, they, they don't go back to primary source material. They take something that's already been, <clears throat> so more of a secondary source, I guess. They, right. They take something that's already had all of that work put in. So if you're if you're a really serious Bible scholar or you're just somebody who wants to go to a much deeper level, you want to have a handy uh, a version handy, a new international, the, the latest version. And it looks like a really good one. And I would start using it if it wasn't the fact I've got all these NIVs laying around, you know, but uh, the English Standard Version is the latest authoritative version and it looks really good and it actually seems like it might be better than the niv in certain ways and yet Ooh. the niv has been around for quite a long time i think about 30 years or so uh, maybe more and so it's a good one and there's nothing wrong with us using that but the esv looks pretty good too so so it's good to talk about that whenever we start a new bible study because people just you know, uh, somebody's t- tuning into this for the first time and they're going, you know, I, I heard he was going to talk about Revelation. I really want to hear this. And so this is why I always do this uh, every time I start a new group or a new study group, mm-hmm. uh, study rather, because I, I just kind of want to help people understand where we're coming from. So you and I are both reading NIV um, for this. Now, your introduction has, uh, because, because the version always has editors, um, mm-hmm. So there may have been several editors. Like if you dig into your Bible and you read like up at the front of your NIV, it'll name all the editors. And one of my professors in seminary was an editor of the NIV, uh, one of hundreds, you know. So <laughs> there may have been there may have been a dozen or more editors who helped compile this revelation that we're going to read from in the New International Version. And one of those or a few of them created an introductory statement. And that is what we're starting with. Each, if, if our listeners are, are looking at their Bibles right now, right before verse 1 of chapter 1 in Revelation, there's probably a paragraph or two by the editors that describes what this book is about and where it came from and some general information. So, so what does yours tell us? What, or, or better yet, just what are some of the high points that you've drawn from the introduction to your uh, book of Revelation? Yeah, because mine's a study Bible, so it's got like a full page. Okay, so what, what, what are the things that really stand out to you from that? Uh, well, I the things I marked were like, that John is the author, John the Apostle is the author. Yes. Revelation. Um, the And I kind of love John because, and and I'm not being silly, I I love John because he, he makes a, a very, very clear point when in his other book called John, mm-hmm. um, that, that Jesus loves him. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, I like John, I think it's great. Uh, I think it's great that he he knows that Jesus loves him. Um, but I wrote down that John's the author, and that it was written when he was in exile on Patmos. And mm-hmm. I wrote down. So my Bible, my introduction talks about themes, but then it has a whole section where it talks about how um, Revelation is divided into past, present, and future, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um because it talks like there's there's sections where it talks about like 
like what's happening in the churches for real like like not for real but like current at the time yeah and and then like everything he saw in his vision right is well and i think it's interesting because it said like well this isn't introduction this is like in the first chapter it says like it's okay like like what you have seen already so i don't like I was actually going to ask you if that meant that there was stuff that he saw in his vision that he didn't write down because it talks like he saw stuff. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, I just thought that was interesting that it's like the the book is divided into like chunks of time. Right. Um, well, I will respond to that in a minute, but. Oh, good. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. And like well, I said, just keep sharing what you, what you want to. Um, so like my, like I said, mine, mine has different sections that are talking about like the theme of the book and its purpose. And I think, I mean, I don't, I think that if once you know what the title of the book means, the purpose and theme are kind of self-explanatory, but I don't want to like, yeah, be just insane that. So no, I, um, I get what you mean, though. It, like, it, like once you, but I did mark it self-describes, right? Like the the title tells you kind of where you're headed with this. Mm -hmm. And I did write down that my Bible um, goes further with the definition of Revelation and says that it comes from the Greek, and I don't speak Greek, so get ready. <laughs> um, apocalypsis, which is apocalypse, but yeah, but and and I highlighted because the the way it defines apocalypse in my bible is disclosure of that which was previously hidden and right. i thought that was kind of a solid different definition that i liked yeah no I, I, that's the cool. things that are hidden i thought that was good that's cool was, yeah. yeah but not only thing well okay so like in my introduction um and, and I'm reading NIV, but I'm using Bible Gateway, the online mm -hmm. Bible, and it uses the uh, NIV study notes. And so some of it's probably in your notes, too. But it's interesting because it um, it says that basically the author is is uh, almost certainly the Apostle John, the one Jesus loved. Um, this is the same guy. You know, we're coming up here. We're almost a week from Easter now. And. And in the description of the uh, uh, visit to the tomb after it's found to be empty, you know, we hear about this guy. Yeah. So, so this is the same John. And the, the common belief among most of the scholars is that this is that John. And I've heard a lot of other conflicting things over the years. But I like what my, uh, uh, what my NIV study notes say, because it, it basically says as early as Justin Martyr. In the second century, uh, there was a belief that that was the John. Well, the book is dated at about A.D. 95. Mm -hmm. Now, A.D. starts at zero with the birth of Christ. So to put this in perspective, um, A.D. 33 is more or less about the time of Jesus' death and resurrection and then the Acts of the Apostles, the events that begin the birth of the church, all of that's happening in that span, let's just say, between A.D. 35 and A.D. 95 when this book is written. Now, it goes on beyond 95, but, but for the sake of our discussion, we're talking about something that John himself witnessed, saw Jesus, knew Jesus, had a personal loving relationship with Jesus, and by 95, he's writing about this. And then Justin Martyr comes along, and he's around A.D. 200 and something. We're only talking a couple of generations removed. Um, to put that in perspective, my great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, is someone who was born at the onset of the Civil War, and... My grandfather, who I knew really well, knew his father, who was born at the, around the onset of the Civil War. And, of course, he knew his father really well, and his father knew his father, who remembers the Civil War very well. So if you get where I'm going with this, 
It means that I knew someone who had personal conversations with someone who knew someone who survived and participated in the Civil War. So that means I'm really not getting old, mysterious information. I'm getting a pretty current account from my grandfather that he was told by his grandfather through his father. So what I mean by that is, is then Justin Martyr is saying, oh yeah, that was John, the same John who was the one Jesus loved, uh, Mm -hmm. the one spoken of in the Gospels. And we can be confident in that because in effect, Justin Martyr is saying, my grandfather told me so. And my yeah. grandfather knew the guy. You know, I don't mean I don't mean that literally. So the scholars out there that are hearing this, don't get on me about this. I'm trying to make the point that it is as reasonable to assume that Justin Martyr knew what he was talking about as it is for me to say that I know what I'm talking about with relation to my grandfather's relationship with his grandfather who remembers the Civil War. Well, and adding to that... I would say that there's even more legitimacy, not that your like your example is legit too, but there's even more legitimacy with this because oral history was the way of doing history at the time. Yeah. So it was going to be, <clears throat> it was a whole lot more accurate because that's how you maintain the histories. Very like there was writing, but it wasn't like compared to now, like we aren't, we're, I don't know that we're real. We're not really great at oral history. No, I I agree with you. In fact, if if it gets published, we assume it's factual. Right. And it's easy to get published. (laughs) Right? You know that. I mean, you know, your school system chooses a curriculum for the students, and they buy books that their kids are going to learn from. And the assumption on the part of the parents and the teachers and everybody else is is that they must have bought the right book. You know, (laughs) but but what you're saying, and this is great because this is another one of those things I really try to teach people in Bible studies. And that is, is that, you know, people will always ask, well, where'd the Bible come from? Well, we're not going to try to cover that in this study. Um, We did do it uh, before you started helping me. I covered that in Christian Believer. But Mm -hmm. but the, the Bible starts in so many ways as an oral history. And the cool thing about an oral history is, is it's very self-correcting. Yeah. Um, you know, when we get together for a family dinner, when, when, when you and your brothers and sister are all at the same table and we're remembering our vacation to St. Augustine, let's say, um, if one person gets a fact wrong, all the other people at the table jump on them and correct them. Right. You know, and it's amazing how really accurate the story becomes because all the participants and all the witnesses are helping to tell the story and correcting it. So, mm-hmm. so by the time they start writing it down, they're getting a pretty darn accurate version. So we, we have a, a very good reason to believe that this is John, the disciple of the apostle of Jesus, who really, you know, was writing this story because there are so many validating historical references. So that in oh. itself is pretty cool. That means this is the same John who was the son of the fisherman Zebedee and uh, the same one that left his nets and said, I'm going with Jesus. Bye, Dad. You know, mm-hmm. same guy. Same guy who witnessed the transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration. Same yeah. guy who was given over to caring for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah. So, this is the same guy. This is pretty significant, isn't it? The one leaning on him, right? Yeah. The yeah. One That's in right. The in the Da Vinci p- picture. Yeah. <laughs> And so he's on the island of Patmos, and he's been exiled there. Um, This is an interesting thing because this is something that, uh, uh, if you think about it, the Romans are pretty smart. I mean, they're a pretty sophisticated society by this time especially. And they figured out that every time they kill one of these guys, they create another martyr and saint. And Mm -hmm. that that's actually a lot harder to deal with than just putting him on an island somewhere and letting him sort of fade away. And yeah. and they're actually fairly kind to him. Uh, the thing is, is that this occurs, uh, again, around 95 AD. 
This is when the various persecutions of the church, which include persecutions of the Jews too, by the way. A lot of people don't think about it that way, but the Romans didn't discriminate. They, they only saw Christians as a Jewish sect, and therefore they just didn't like any of them. And they weren't really hard on the Christians until the Christians refused to acknowledge Caesar as God. That's where they got themselves in trouble. Um, the Romans were fairly tolerant of other religions, but, but when it became necessary for you to declare your allegiance to Caesar as God and the Christians refused to do it, there's mm-hmm. where the, that's when the persecution started. And that's when old John ends up getting sent to the island. But they let him write letters. Now, in my introduction, one of the things that it tells us, and I, I've seen this overemphasized, to the point where it sort of takes away some of the value of this book of Revelation. Um, but the, the fact is, is he speaks in code language, but you don't want to overemphasize the code language because if you do, then you start saying it doesn't mean what it says. And I think we've learned together and in Bible studies that I've led the best way to read scripture, especially the first time through, is take everything you read literally. Yeah. You know, later on you can you can start kind of doing some some you know kind of uh, go down some rabbit trails and things, but for starters, you always go with reading it literally. And his code language isn't that hard for a Christian to understand. It just doesn't make any sense to a Roman centurion who's trying to decide whether he should deliver this letter or not. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I get out of the introduction to mine. Um, it's one of its distinctive features. And uh, like I said, some people take that that um, that business of, of code language a little too far. And uh, they try to add meaning to some of the code words. But the code words aren't really code words, you know. Um, we all sort of have a language of our culture. I mean, you know, uh, you work in the school system and among the school teachers and administration and so forth in the public schools, there's certain language that you all use and terms you use. And it makes perfect sense to you guys. <laughs> but, but the rest of us don't necessarily know what you're talking about. I'm remembering the first time I told you guys at dinner that a student eloped. Yeah. And I I just remember the blank faces. Yeah, we all just kind of scratched our heads because we were thinking they, they went and got their girlfriend and got married in Vegas. <laughs> you work with children. Yeah, you know. No, that's a perfect example. Perfect example. And so, you know, when 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 John refers to Jesus as the lamb or something like that, well, it makes perfect sense to the people who are reading it, but the people outside of that culture don't really get it. And yeah. so he didn't have to be all that sneaky. You know, he just had to make sure he didn't use the word Jesus because there was a, you know, they knew to look for that one, you know, mm-hmm. and they knew this guy was a lot of trouble. So, <laughs> um, so, okay. You, you ready to, do you have anything else you want to say from the introductions? I don't think so. Oh, this is this is not from the introduction. This is kind of totally random, and I don't even know that it will matter because I feel like most of the well, – I could be wrong, but I feel like most of the audience is people in and around southern Indiana and your church. Right. But Ball State's Art Museum has – or at least it did a couple of years ago. It has this really, really cool, gigantic painting, and I forget who did the painting, but it's of John on Patmos. Oh, yeah. It shows his vision. You know, I never like, did get into that museum. It's a really cool museum. Um, We're talking about Ball State University in Muncie, right, Indiana. Right. Ball State University, Muncie, Indiana. I, my, one of your you, Alma's Alma, mothers. One of, one of my Alma's mothers. Um, <clears throat> that makes me sound really pretentious if I say one of them. Well, it's where you got your master's. Um, but it's really cool. Like, I'm trying to remember some of the details of it, but... They had like a little scavenger hunt about it, actually, that Nathan and I were doing because it's this mass. I mean, it's huge, like like a wall. Yeah. Um, and like each of the four corners has something to do with his vision. And 
it's anyway if you're in muncie go check it out because it's a really really cool picture and it like like you just look at this beautiful painting and you're it's like you're reading most of revelation cool yeah. Well, you know, and maybe one of these uh, great people will find the picture or reproduction of that online that we can look at. So, yeah. um, by the way, this comes as a, a perfect opportunity for me to say that I started a Facebook group that is called Knowing God with Heart and Mind, and it is to be a companion to the various Bible studies uh, that I lead, including this one. Because I discovered that, you know, we ask people to write to us and tell us things and we don't get much response. But I thought maybe having this Facebook group would be more uh, accessible and easier for people. And that's a perfect place. If, if one of you happens to find uh, a online uh, version of this painting that we're talking about, we'll post it to the Facebook group. So if you go to Facebook uh, – and you go to Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, uh, you'll see where I've invited people to join the group. I'm going to put a link for joining in the description box, too. So people will be able to join the conversation, and that would be a great place to share things like that. Uh, yeah, I will do some Googling tonight and see if I can find it since I know which picture I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. You'd know that you got the right <laughs> one. So, yeah, if you find it, just put it in that group and say, you know, here's the picture we talked about on the podcast and then give the date uh, yeah. of the podcast, which the uh, the uh, posting date is always that Friday. We, we record on Thursdays. I edit on Friday morning and then post. So, uh Yeah. All right. Well, so. Um, Revel- oh, you said you were going to answer the past present thing. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. Well, I think we can actually do that is in the course of reading a few okay. verses here. I'm good um, so let's let's look at verses one to eight to start with. OK, um, I'll, I'll start reading for this time and then we'll see where we go here. Right. So it starts with the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So that's John, uh, Revelation rather, 1, verses 1 to 3. 1 through 3. <laughs> so, so, okay, so what's he saying right there at the start, Beth? He says the revelation from Jesus Christ was God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So the first thing we hear is, Here's what's getting ready to happen, and an angel brought me the message. Right. And John is the one who's going to tell us everything he saw. That's verse 2. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So so he's making it very clear that he saw everything. The angel told him, you know, come look at this. And then God, through Jesus, actually gives him the word. Well, and I actually marked that line. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, because I thought it was interesting that that he clarified like he it was like double talk, but not really because they're different. But like. Like word of God and testimony of Jesus Christ are very, very similar. So I thought it was interesting that he said both things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get you. And, you know, and here's that blessing we were talking about. Verse three says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I just got a blessing. <laughs> And blessed are those who hear it. You just got a blessing and take it to heart. Take to heart what is written here and uh, because the time is near. So, okay, that doesn't answer your question, but it sets the stage. And uh, you read, uh, how about you read verse four and five? Okay. John, to the seven churches in the provinces province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Is that it? it stops, stops in the middle of the sentence, which really bugs me. <laughs> and I read the next one. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father to him. Be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's okay. Better. I should have had you go to six, but <laughs> you can see me. No one else can, but I'm lifting my glasses so that I can read what's on my computer <laughs> screen through my bifocal. <laughs> and I just missed that part because it went under the glasses. Uh, yeah. So we're actually doing verses four to six. And okay. So, so what it says, he's greeting the seven churches. So it's addressed to seven churches that exist uh is it contemporaneously is that the right use of the word they they exist at the time that he's writing this are these the same okay i'm i never mind i'm getting ahead well no yeah you are getting ahead i know exactly where you're going too but (laughs) let's save something for next week bethany which we can record live together that's because you'll be home visiting I have to get another microphone, I guess. I don't know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> too far ahead because they are, in fact, mentioned in chapter one. Just saying. No, you're right. It's not that far ahead. But he is speaking to the seven churches that, that it, it would seem presently exist as he's writing this. Right. So that's present. Yeah. And he's saying this is coming to you people directly from Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite scholars, uh, a controversial scholar in some circles, but a very brilliant Bible scholar named Chuck Missler. Um, yes. He's a great scholar. He just he just irritates, you know, more, I don't know how to phrase it, and I don't want to get into that. Uh, he just irritates people who don't like his very conservative view of Scripture. But, but you can't deny his scholarship. And one of the things he says is, is you can't deny – that this is Jesus who's talking, you know, yeah. this, this book of revelation in large part is written by Jesus. And, and that's why in, in my, uh, my personal Bible that I use for preaching, you know, the it, words of Jesus are in red ink and guess what? In revelation, oh, yeah. it's in red ink. Oh yeah. Revelation is like mostly red. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, it makes us want to go towards a joke. We got to let go for now. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, some of them will be with us on that. But anyhow, it's it's just about you've got red on you and all that. So anyway, um, that would be a really stupid thing to mix into this story. So <laughs> so um, it, it basically describes uh, what he saw to his contemporaries. Yeah. So that much we can assume, but he he opens by saying, if you read this, if you take it to heart, you're blessed. And I don't know about you, Beth, but it sort of implies to me that it's sort of written both for a contemporary audience and for all time. Yeah. I mean, he seems to be saying he's doing both. Yeah, and I I think that, I mean, I would assume that, like, if he's being told to write all this stuff down, he probably has, well, okay, can I say this timey-wimey stuff? Is that cool? No, you know, it's actually okay, because I think I was about to go there, too. (laughs) I, I really do. We have discussed often that we feel like, like, when John saw all this stuff, he was seeing it happening. Right. Like, he, it wasn't, he wasn't seeing... It wasn't like he was watching a movie like he was there. Right. And seeing it happening in real time. And that's kind of a controversial standpoint because it's like getting into some like science fiction level stuff where you're talking about like time travel and stuff. But if anybody can time travel, it's God. Yeah. So I feel like he would he would definitely have known when he put this down to paper that it was for all time. Like I don't I I think when when he's writing that blessing and stuff, he's saying, "I know that there are going to be people in 2018 reading this thing." Yeah, yeah. As Jesus said, so like you, like you said, it's Jesus's word. Jesus knows this is going to be enduring. 
No, I think you're spot on. I would, at least you and I are in total agreement. That would be a better way to put it, because because I was going to go the same direction. I was going to say, what we're going to find out as we read this is is that John has been stepping in and out of time, yeah, throughout this experience, and it sort of messes with his perspective. He says these things are really near because, in a sense, they are, as far as he can tell. I mean, he's there. <laughs> you know, you said he, he knows people in 2018 are going to read this. And, and I'm not disputing you for any other reason than to say that after he comes back from this experience, he's got sort of this, this like worst case of jet lag in all of time, you know, yeah. because, yeah. because he's going in and out of time. And then all of a sudden he's saying, wow, this is like right now. It's, it's yes. like, this is going to be at any moment. And yet he knows that he's seeing something from outside of time and space. Yeah. And we're really going to get into that later. So, so listeners, if you're confused by what we're saying, we'll at least make ourselves more clear in <laughs> future sessions, because what seems really apparent about revelation is, is that, that, uh, the angel takes John out of time and space as we understand it on this island and sort of puts him into yes something like doctor who's blue box <laughs> and while he's there he's no longer in time and space as we see it he's in the realm where god is and he's yeah. standing on god's porch watching human activity throughout the span of time and so that's got to mess with his head. And he comes back and he's describing a sort of both and scenario constantly. Yeah. He's talking to current people, even as he understands that what he's talking about isn't current. It's concurrent. It's, it's transcendent even, you know? So it's really, I, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and you add it like, he might he might comprehend that it might be something happening in the future, but I think you're, what you're saying is even better. Like, it is transcendent because he's it's operating on God's time, and we know God's time is not the same as human time at all. Right. Yeah. So he's watching all of this, and he's probably aware that God's time and and just being in that. I'm saying dimension. I don't. I, anyway, being okay. in that other dimension. <laughs> Um, like you said, that's really going to mess with his brain because he's got to feel that it's happening differently. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I'm with I, you. If I was John. I might get back to Patmos and write it and then say, take me Jesus. Cause yep. your brain's all like his brain's all scrambled. <laughs> well, as I look at the passages that follow, I'm thinking that this is a good place to stop for today. I'm looking at my, uh, my, my software and my software tells me that we've already been talking for 48 minutes oh, Oops! <laughs> and I promised the people in last week's episode that I was going to try to keep this broadcast down to around 30 to 45 minutes. Ah, yeah. uh, so we're still looking at an hour long broadcast again. And well, I don't know. Listeners, weigh in. Go go to the Facebook group, Knowing God with Heart and Mind, and and tell me if an hour is okay because it's starting to look like that's really what we're going to end up doing. My favorite podcast is about an hour most days, and I could listen to those guys all the time. So okay, so you know that we're that level at all. But the pressure that I'm putting myself under is strictly coming from me. I don't know that it really matters whether it's 30 minutes or an hour. Uh, so listeners, this is where you help to determine it, but we're also doing something that I know from experience, uh, both with preaching and teaching is, is the introductions are always the more complicated. Um, we'll manage our time better next time because we aren't trying to put so much front end information in, but I am going to say, let's call it quits here. Um, next week we will pick up with verse seven, which is Jesus announcing to John, here it comes and it's me and it's going to be exciting stuff. And the interesting thing is, is that we'll be recording this during Holy week and, uh, in conjunction with celebrating special Holy Week observances at the church. So, and I get to have my beautiful daughter present for that. So this is all wonderful. Yep. 
All right, Bethany, thank you so much for everything. This has been fun, and, and I like what we've come up with here for our, our approach. So tell everybody bye. Bye, guys. And I love you, and I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, I love you too. all for today's broadcast. I hope that you've been blessed. We uh, would love to hear from you and uh, entertain your questions and comments. If you live near Jasper, Indiana, please stop by Shiloh United Methodist Church to say hello. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H um.org and you can find us on facebook by searching for shiloh united methodist church in jasper indiana where i have started a facebook group for people who listen to this podcast or participate in some of the other studies so we're really anxious to to engage in conversation with you be sure and visit us on facebook at knowing god with heart and mind group and uh, send us a request to join the group, and I will personally invite you in. For now, God bless you, and goodbye.